This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Ros Taylor. If you were the victim of a serious crime, perhaps you'd been assaulted or raped, how long would you expect to wait before the person suspected of it appeared in court? Three months? Six months? Maybe a year? Well, the average time people now wait for justice is 708 days. That's nearly two years. Someone who sees these delays firsthand is Joanna Hardy Suskind, a criminal barrister at Red Lion Chambers. She is an absolute star, according to the Legal 500 directory, and they don't say that about all the barristers. Welcome to the bunker, Joanna. Thanks, Ros. Thanks for having me. So your profession has just voted to take industrial action. And that's not a step lawyers take lightly, especially when there are so many delays already in the system. What's the reason for the action? Well, Ros, you've hit the nail on the head there. This is not action that criminal barristers want to take, and it's not action that we take lightly at all. We are in public service and we represent people accused of crime and we prosecute people on behalf of victims of crime and society. So to bring us to the brink has really taken a lot. It's a combination Criminal barristers are woefully underpaid for the heavy responsibility that that we have. And the criminal backlog in the court system has produced a perfect storm, really, of a completely unsustainable environment, an unsustainable justice system, and a profession that are leaving in their droves. We've lost a huge amount of barristers recently in the last five years The Criminal Bar Association estimate that around a quarter of junior barristers have left practice and around a half of Queen's Council have left. And so we're hemorrhaging barristers. We've got a growing queue and those who remain are simply not being remunerated and don't have the working conditions that are anywhere near reasonable. So part of this is about legal aid, isn't it, and how it's been effectively cut over the last decade or so. Tell us a bit more about that. Yes. So many criminal barristers are self-employed practitioners So we take a case and we get paid for it. It's quite a simple model. But out of that payment, we obviously don't receive maternity pay. We don't receive any pay if we're sick or unwell. We don't receive any paid holiday. We have to fund our own administration, our own staff. And those costs obviously have increased in the decades that have passed since legal aid was was ever considered viable. And it means that particularly our junior barristers sometimes are working at rates that that frankly fall below even the minimum wage. And mid-ranking barristers, when you look at like professions, you know, teachers and doctors, qualified people who've undertaken significant student loans to be where they are, 
the pay isn't comparable and people are leaving. People are voting with their feet and they're leaving. And, and it's a it's a wider problem than self-interest. You may think I would say that, but it is a wider problem than that because our criminal barristers are the pool of people from where we, we draw our judges. And everyone, when they think of a judge, probably thinks of a posh, old, white man. And you wouldn't be far off in many cases. We're doing our best with diversity, but it's really important that the people who are our judges reflect society and they reflect the average person that might come before the court. And it's a ticking time bomb. This profession could easily slip backwards in terms of diversity. The Justice Secretary, Dominic Raab, says you must be patient for legal aid reform. Have you been patient? Well, the the quarter of barristers who've left practice couldn't afford to be patient. And junior barristers in my chambers who go and represent somebody in the magistrate's court, for example, somebody that might lose their liberty. And if you think about that for a second, Rose, that's quite a heavy responsibility representing another human being who, who might be sent to prison. And they prepare that case, they go to court, they represent them at something we call a first appearance. And the fee in London can be as little as £50. And I think that if I were up in the dock and looking at a potential prison sentence, I'd want to look at my lawyer and think that they were getting paid a little bit more than that. And out of that, they're obviously taking their expenses. And it's woeful, really. So the idea that this profession can be patient um, is simply untrue. But, But more importantly, I don't think the public can afford to be patient any longer. And I don't think that victims of crime have got much patience left. So just to be clear, that's £50 for the handling the case and all the preparation for it as well. Yeah, so for a first appearance, if somebody's arrested and then um, taken to the magistrate's court, we call it the first appearance. Fees vary as some fees are higher, but they have a protocol in place, which is the suggested minimum amount. Um, I think for a trial, it, it's 75 to, to just over £100. But that would be to, for example prepare the case, read the witness statements, perhaps watch some CCTV, meet your client, represent them, and potentially being at court for half a day or a full day, including travel either end. These are our most junior barristers, but but these are the future of our profession. These are the people we're trying to attract to remain. These in the Crown Court, which is what most people think about when they think of criminal justice, they think of wigs and gowns and jury trials, which which is what I do. The work we've had to do, Ros, reflects society. And we all know, because we've all got them in our pockets, that iPhones have changed the way we live and they've changed the way we conduct criminal justice. You can imagine your iPhone will tell you where you've been. It might tell you what you've eaten, what you've drank. It might tell you when you've been in a car, when you've booked an Uber. All of that information you can imagine is relevant when somebody's accused of a crime and we have to plough through it. And the payment system just doesn't reflect the modern reality of how people commit crime how we work and what we're expected to do and the very heavy responsibility that barristers bear. Joanna, why do you think this goes under the radar? Why do you think people and the press take so little notice of what's happening in the criminal justice system? Because it's not as though we're not, people don't watch courtroom dramas and they're not fascinated in many ways by crime. Why has it gone under the radar? Obviously, we've been preoccupied by COVID, but what else is there? I think it's two reasons. I think the first reason is that it's not politically attractive. Nobody goes to the ballot box and votes for their local MP because they seem to be standing up for their local criminal, which is how it's sometimes perceived. Secondly, people never think that this will happen to them. Ros, the people I meet every day are not people that thought they'd end up needing my services. They are people who went to work and money went missing and they got accused. 
they're people who went out driving in their car and there's been an accident and they've been accused of causing death by dangerous driving. They're young people who go out in nightclubs and interact with each other and they get accused of sexual assault. These are people who are thrown headfirst into a system they never thought they'd need. And in a way that the NHS attracts broad public support because we're all aware that one day we'll probably need it or one day a loved one will need the NHS to fall back on. No one thinks that about legal aid. Everybody thinks that they're above criminal allegation. And the sad reality and my experience in a decade of doing this job is that these allegations often blindside people and they're thrown headfirst into a system and they cannot believe the state of it when they arrive there. Let's talk about the extraordinary delays, which I mentioned earlier. Is the problem here a shortage of courts, of judges, of lawyers, jury issues, organisation, or is it all of those things? Yeah, there's a real combination going on. What happened before the pandemic, so before anyone had heard the word COVID, is that sitting days, that's what we call them, which are the days that a courtroom is open and can hear you know, the daily crime diet of that particular area, sitting days were cut by the government and it was a cost-cutting measure. And what happened was the backlog grew, obviously, because we had fewer courtrooms, fewer judges hearing cases. So before the pandemic hit in March 2020, the backlog stood at about 40,000 cases. The backlog now is estimated to be about 60,000 cases. And Dominic Raab's ambition, which has been described politely by the Public Accounts Committee as a meagre ambition, is to reduce that to 53,000 by March 2025. So it's almost like we're walking through custard or walking backwards through treacle. You know, our, our, our aim is to reduce it by a couple of thousand, really, by 2025. We don't have enough For the first time in in my memory, we don't have enough barristers. There are reports uh, weekly now of trials being called on, serious trials where the prosecution seat is empty or the defence seat is empty and a barrister simply cannot be found nationwide to turn up. Now, if that were happening with that regularity in the NHS, if people were saying, "I I had an operation booked and I've waited two and a half years and do you know what? They couldn't find an NHS doctor to do it. We'd all be outraged. But these cases tick along and the numbers tick up and we simply don't have the capacity. The government closed Crown Courts for reasons that utterly escaped me. For example, we had a Crown Court at Blackfriars in London, just south of the river, not far from Southwark Tube Station. An amazing courtroom, huge courtrooms, disability access, purpose built. They could be ploughing through trials now and they sold it. They sold it for millions and millions of pounds. And on days when I was explaining to people that I'm very sorry, your son is going to be in prison waiting a bit longer for his trial, that building was being used for a Netflix programme. And it's the choices like that, and they are choices that that the government have undertaken that, that have increased this queue. And the pandemic really has exacerbated it. But the actions before and the actions after, in my view, have been inexcusable. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
And they opened things they called Nightingale Courts after the Nightingale Hospitals, which they opened at the beginning of the pandemic and never really used. But these were sort of temporary courts. And then they started closing them again, didn't they? Yeah, so we opened, we started opening sort of courtrooms in conference centres with little pop-up desks and a little sellotaped sign on it saying prosecution and defence, which didn't quite convey the solemnity of the occasion, but we had to make do. And they were able to tear through some of the backlog. But Ros, a lot of the people I'm afraid in my line of work are in prison. And so obviously your local conference centre or your local hotel hasn't got any cells. And so any case where somebody's in custody in prison couldn't be heard there. And I imagine they're very expensive. They've just announced a new one in Covent Garden in a grade two listed hall where they often hold celebrity black tie events. Now, I just cannot imagine that it's cost effective to have a load of criminal barristers trooping through there hearing about who robbed who or who stole the car. But that's where we've ended up. It's a sticking plaster on a self-inflicted mess. What impact does it have when a case is so delayed? It impacts on everybody. It depends on which side of the fence you sit. I mean, I often I often defend in cases and my clients often don't get the sympathy of the public and sometimes that's rightly so. But sometimes I represent people who are innocent and they've waited and waited and it can be crippling on a person to have an allegation hanging over them where they might end up in custody and on their family as well. And for victims of crime, I mean, you can imagine... Being the victim of a crime, perhaps an incident of violence, very regrettably sexual incidents, where you feel invaded, you feel wronged, and you feel that you can't move on, you can't even begin to heal until there's been some closure, until there's been a verdict. And we see increasingly people withdrawing their support for prosecutions, so witnesses or complainants saying, I just can't carry on. I I cannot wait for another court date. I cannot be let down again. And occasionally you see defendants entering guilty pleas where, frankly, everyone in the room is slightly sceptical if they're entering that plea because they did do the crime or because they can't face waiting any longer in, in prison. And for witnesses, memories fade. You know, if I asked you, Ros, what you had for breakfast this morning, you might be able to tell me. But if I asked you what colour a car was that you saw at the scene of a robbery two years ago, you might struggle. And so the quality of the evidence is really diminished by delay. And that's natural, that's human nature. And it means we we drag jurors to court and you can see it in their faces. You know, they've taken two weeks off work to come to court and it's 2022 and out comes an incident for something that happened in 2018, in 2019. And in the witnesses troop, and people can't remember things. People can't remember details. They can't quite recall things. They might have made a witness statement at the time that can prompt their memory, but it's not the same. And so really it affects everybody, both sides of of the fence, right or wrong, it impacts on them. And it impacts on the people who are meant to be telling the story of what happened. Um, And so the quality of justice is diminished. And for you as a barrister, when you've maybe travelled a long way to get to a case, and then perhaps it's just, it has to be abandoned or postponed, that must be really dismaying, especially when you're being paid so poorly. Yeah, it's heartbreaking sometimes, which sounds dramatic. But, you know, if you've got to know a defendant, you might have got to know their family, you might have worked incredibly hard to prepare a defence for somebody. And the day of the trial finally arrives. And, you know, I recently concluded a case, for example, where the incident had happened three years before the trial date. And 
you finally get there and it gets adjourned for yet another ridiculous reason. And it might get adjourned to a date that I can't do and I have to return that case to a new barrister. And so that family and that person gets a new face. And similarly for complainants of crime, you know, if you've got a barrister who's prepared the case on behalf of the Crown to prosecute it, um, and then for reasons outside of their control, they have to return it, sometimes rolls the night before. It, it's incredibly disheartening as a professional who, who takes pride in, in what they do and tries to do a good job. But we have to prioritise those people, those human beings who are either waiting for the worst day of their life to be relived or for people who are waiting to try and clear their name. And so we will take the earliest date we can. And it means that often our work is is simply handed over to a new pair of hands. Aside from raising these pathetically low fees that you have in the criminal justice system for lawyers, what else does the government need to do now to speed things up and to improve the quality of justice? I think they need to understand the strength of feeling in the system. Um, and I think that that lack of understanding has really driven the government's response so far. This is not a group of disgruntled, posh people who are just arguing about a couple of pennies. This is a profession that's on its knees and it's a system that is crumbling. And I think that recently um, the public have had more of an appetite for understanding what goes on in our criminal justice system. We've seen the post office scandal, normal people whose lives were wrecked by an inadequate system. We've seen high profile trials. And I think people are beginning to understand that this is a service that's of importance. You know, trial by jury in this country is of real importance to us as a society. And I think the government are currently underestimating the strength of feeling that people have about it. We need an injection of cash uh, in order to retain and keep promising young lawyers who are coming through the ranks at those very low fees in order for them to progress to higher fees. We need to think about the gender pay disparity at the criminal bar. I mean, the number one quality you can have as a criminal barrister if you want to earn more money is to be a man. And it's 2022. They should be looking at that. Uh, And I think they need to understand that criminal barristers may be one group who are campaigning for this, but they're one of many voices. And victims groups who, to put it frankly, are a lot more electorally friendly and and will have political capital in them because quite rightly people will think that victims of very serious offending should not be waiting years for justice, that our interests are all aligned. We're all after one goal, Ros, and that's to speed this process up, um, to have decent, diverse, fairly paid professionals. No one comes into this job to get rich. Everyone comes into it to perform a public service, but it's got to be fair. And I think that those interests are aligning now and and it's a real strength of feeling that has some force. And you'll be taking industrial action from 11th of April. But just to be clear, you're not walking out on cases. This isn't like when tube drivers walk out. Yeah, it's really important we stress that because we're we're quite proud of the work we do. I'm proud of the work I do and the people I represent. And I wouldn't let people down deliberately. I wouldn't let people down by simply walking out, dropping my tools and saying, well, you try and run a criminal justice system without us. Uh, We're not doing that. Barristers have a system where if I'm stuck in a trial, uh, let's say I do a five day trial and one of the witnesses is unwell on one of the days and it runs over, I'm running late. It means I can't go to my next case. It means I'm held up. And so we have a system where we cover each other's backs. We, We cover each other's cases. And so on any given day, I might have my own caseload. 
but I might cover a case for someone else and do them a favor and cover that case and, and keep it going. That's what we're withdrawing. And it's called no returns simply because we call those returned cases. And it means that there will be disruption. There won't be a complete halting of the criminal justice system because that would be wrong, to put it frankly. It would let the people down that we're here to, to look after. But it will cause some disruption. It will indicate to this government that our goodwill, our ability to go the extra mile to keep this system running is running short along with our patients. Joanna, what keeps you in this profession, despite everything? I absolutely love this job. I think that we are so fortunate to dip in to people's lives. And it might be the worst moment of their lives. It might be a snapshot of their lives. But it is a position to represent somebody and to try and help them um, at a difficult time and to be their voice in court, I think is a privileged position and a position of great responsibility. I'm fascinated by human beings and by the situations people get themselves into, the difficulties we see, the ugliness of human behaviour. But it's beauty too. You know, you, you have moments in court where you are so impressed by somebody, you know, a bystander who might have intervened in an incident and displayed real heroism, a bystander who might have done something or remembered something that helped the police. And you really see the best and the worst of human nature. You see the entire spectrum of humanity every day. And every case, every person, every story is different. I like to believe that people who are innocent, deserve the best representation possible and that victims of crime deserve defence barristers who are going to cross-examine them to be highly trained, courteous and to treat them with great respect during what is undoubtedly the most difficult or one of the most difficult days of their lives. And I, I also like to think that when you represent people who perhaps have done something wrong, unpopular people, that often we ought not be defined by the worst thing we've done particularly with very young people and, you know, when you represent teenagers who have fallen short, I like to think that you can play a small role in helping them perhaps get back on the right track. And so I adore my job. I just wish that it was different. Joanna Hardy-Sudskind, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ros. If you're looking for the inside take on the war in Ukraine, check out Doomsday Watch, our series presented by foreign policy expert Arthur Snell. Each day he's talking to experts with real insight into the Ukraine crisis. You can back the bunker on the crowdfunding platform Patreon. Just see our Twitter or Facebook or search Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor. Thanks for listening. Bunker Daily was presented and produced by Ros Taylor. The producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis. And the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs> <laughs>